You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Referee Adam from the Kickout Crew with a very special guest, a very special friend of mine. I've known this man for probably 20 years now. Um, he is a member of the 2019 um, Alabama Hall of Fame, Wrestling Hall of Fame. Um, I know him from one name, but he's known around the country as Frederick O'Neill. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. It's good, it's good to see you and finally be able to hook up and do this. Yeah, it's been a, sure. been a little while, man. I know you've, you've been through some rough spots and whatnot, but yeah, glad to see you doing, man. I'm glad you kicked out, you know, the whole theme of the show. Yeah. Kicking out at two, there baby. There you go. Yeah. Uh, and I hear you guys are, are popular in the podcast world. Well, we're trying so, to. We're, we, we're getting a couple of views. We uh, Premier yeah. Streaming Network has helped us out a lot, so... That's great. That that is just having listeners makes it a whole lot better. Yeah, uh, yeah. We, you know, uh, you mentioned we'd known each other for, for probably over twenty years. That's uh, insane to think about. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is because I'm only thirty two. So yeah, oh, that's right. It, that's right. I'm <laughs> thirty six. My bad. Well, you know, yeah, that <laughs> might, might be pushing thirty six. But uh, yeah, you know, we we've had some uh, live heavyweight championship matches. Yeah, because I was super uh, light back, back in then. the day. <laughs> yeah, uh, we both were, and uh, you know that's you know t talking about when we got started. You know, back in that day, they would you know, and there's big burly guys now, but <sighs> the outlaw slash independent circuit it really was the outlaw circuit was it was, didn't have a lot of little guys. You know, oh gosh, I mean, no! I remember the guys were, I trained with. Yeah, they were big, burly. You know, looked like they just walked out of a bar fight type guys. You know, like David and, Diablo uh, or the Professor. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's who. That's and, who trained uh, me. Was chopping me was the Professor. I was as big as his leg. Oh well, yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, when we were in wrestling training, uh, I was trained by fabulous Jonathan Lawrence and Bad Brad Moats and. Shout um, out, Bad Brad, baby. Yeah, Bad Brad, you know. I miss uh, him, man. I gotta bad, I gotta hook up with him again. His Bad Brad School of Professional Wrestling, uh, <laughs> which was uh come in here and we're gonna beat the fool out of you. And if you don't quit, you can come back tomorrow, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, you know, but back in those days, you know, I and I was told up front, I'll just kind of tell a little bit about how I got in the business. Yeah. You know, I work I worked at Lowe's where I live here and uh I I was such a huge mark uh, for the wrestling world that uh, I I built a ring in my backyard, uh, okay. and you know just out of what I you know limited resources, uh, had no idea how a real ring was put together. Never oh, been in a ring, been there. But that was the that was the buzzword around the low store that you know I built a wrestling ring. Well, these two guys come in one day, and. Uh, or no, this elderly gentleman come in one day and he wanted some pad for a wrestling ring. Well, the only pad Lowe's has is carpet pad. Carpet pad. You know, yeah. And back in the day, uh, back in the day, carpet padding was sweet. If you had two layers of it and, you know, you could keep it from overlapping. I mean, it bumped good. It sounded good. So they immediately sent him to me. And uh, so I, I cut him a deal on it, you know, as much as I could. And so the next day, was which was a Sunday, these two big burly guys come walking into Lowe's. One was fabulous Jonathan Lawrence, you know, peroxide blonde hair, and uh, bad Brad Moats. And you, you, you can you can't miss bad Brad. I'm, I'm yeah, I, yeah. So I get paid a man of his and, own, <laughs> and they're like, Hey, these two guys are here to see you. And I'm like, Okay, these are the wrestlers, you know, I'm about to meet some real wrestlers, you know. and here they come, and 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 John had hurt his thumb the night before, and man, it was all just looked like bandaged up, homemade bandaged up. You know, I don't think he went to the hospital. No. And I just thought, good God, you know, um, these are just two big guys, you know, just <laughs> big burly guys. And uh, but Jonathan Lawrence told me then he said, uh, "You interested in getting in the business?" Of course, I'm like 115 pounds, you know, soaking wet. And uh, I'm like, yeah, yeah, man, I love getting a business. I, I ring the bell. I carry the, oh, you know, I carry the stuff. You know, I'll, I'll pull whatever. your bag across the floor, you know, man. Yeah, hey. 
exactly. I'll do anything. I'll set up chairs, you know? <laughs> and, uh, so he, he told me then he said, uh, well, I train everybody the same manager, ref wrestler, everybody gets the same training. And, you know, he said, but I'll just tell you up front, you'll, you, you know, you you ain't never going to be able to wrestle, you know, which I was cool with that. I was like, well, heck, I can manage, you know, I can do whatever, you know, yeah, I can riff, you know, no shame in that. And uh, so uh, fast forward to 2019 when, you know, you'll never be nothing but a wrestler. And he didn't mean it in a bad way. He was just saying, hey, you, we just don't see a lot of guys your size. I ain't got anybody for you to work, you know. Uh, it's not that you I, – I, I doububt you could do it. It's just so – Back in 2000, it wasn't a big known thing. No, it wasn't at all. And uh, and and so uh, when when I got inducted into the Hall of Fame, I chose him to induct me. Uh, That's awesome. Of, I didn't know little, that. Little, yeah, a little bit of irony, you know, there. And I told him that right before we went out and, uh, you know, to do the, the Hall of Fame ceremony. And uh, so – but anyway, so that was in the – the spring of 99 and I finished training in, you know, the later part, the fall of 99 and, uh, and, and did mostly manage uh, just within, you know, uh, DCW Dixie championship wrestling at the time. And uh, we would trade out shows with different promoters. You know, we'd go wrestle in Georgia, we'd go wrestle in Tennessee, we'd wrestle in different parts of Alabama and, you know, so if we wasn't running a, a DCW show, we were trying to get, you know, booking somewhere else. Yeah, get your foot in the door and, uh, yeah, you know, and back then it, there was no, there was, you know. Yeah, there wasn't no tracking you down on Facebook or. Yeah, you yeah. know, it was just word of mouth and hope huh? somebody liked you and hope somebody invited you to a show. And, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, those were, those were the outlaw shows, you know, these were guys that you know and and today a lot of people call themselves independent but <laughs> that's kind of a misconstrued term terminology you're really not independent like uh if your show only runs in you know nowheresville usa you don't have a world champion you know what i'm saying you can have a heavyweight champion but you can't have a world champion there you go you because, can have the name of the promotion yeah heavyweight champion Heavyweight champion, but I see I see promotions these days with world champion, and I'm thinking they don't ever leave their town. You know, <laughs> they're not. You can't be a. They're not a even champion Alabama champion. How they the world champion? Yeah, yeah, not even Alabama champion. So, <laughs> but that you know that started my little journey, and 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 uh, my I you know the Frederick O'Neill gimmick came to me through training. I always wanted to be a baby face because I I loved it, but you know I loved the idea of the baby face watching so the idea is great to you to you do that yeah. first time and you know uh <laughs> it's easier to get over as a heel than a baby face yeah. uh, i have worked baby face before and thought dear god i mean this is work you know <laughs> it's work but uh if you got a good heel it it, it is easy you know yeah. if they really do their job put you over but uh, i say all that to say uh one of the first shows that I worked or um, when they come up with the idea of Frederick O'Neill, this rich guy, he was actually supposed to be a golfer. Like I was, you know, going to wear like funny pants and high socks and weird <laughs> shoes and little thing on my head. And the lady oh, that was supposed you didn't to, stick with that. <laughs> I know. And it never developed. And uh, so uh, they were like, you know, you're a rich guy. You like to play golf and, you know, the storyline at the time was, you know, Frederick's dad has bought DCW and I'm I'm trying to run it in the ground and get it out of Alabama and take it to Florida where I can play golf all the time. You know, stuff like okay. that. I like and that. Uh, so that was kind of the direction we were going. But I couldn't get the gear made that they wanted by the time, you know, things kind of moved a little quicker. So John was like, hey, I'm going to use you on the show to manage, uh, you know, the tag champions uh or heavyweight champion i can't remember what it was but they were going to use me because my mouth got over you know more than my body because i just wasn't that big <laughs> so he just said put on the nicest thing you got and so i had a black suit and a real nice shirt and he said you know grab a golf club with you so i did i grabbed a golf club I, and as i'm going out the door uh, I look down and there's some stuff on a table and there happened to be a can of gold spray paint. That's where it come. 
that's where the go golf club come from. The gold I stepped water, out, baby. Uh, yeah, I stepped out on the front porch and I sprayed it a couple times and first show, man, it, it, it was, it was it. They, they became a trademark. So it went from the golfer to he's so rich, you know, that he carries a golden golf club. And yeah. of course you, you've been victim to the golden golf club. Yeah, I've met it once uh, twice. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so that just kind of evolved, and and honestly, my favorite wrestler growing up was the Million Dollar Man, you oh, know, God, Ted DiBiase. Yes. Yeah, and uh, it was a thrill for me to get to meet Ted and work work for Ted with PWA whenever he was running those shows, and he would come around the area. Uh, uh, he got we got an invite. Actually, uh, my here's my Ted DiBiase story. We were sitting uh, in his hometown in in Lincoln, Mississippi. Um, having lunch one day and I was traveling through and it just happened, you know, I called thinking, okay, you know, this is a shot in the dark, but Hey, so he, he and another guy met us for lunch and, uh, and I want to say it was Outback or something like that. <laughs> and this is where I learned something that was, that was profoundly um, pr uh, shocking. Um, he put a stack of $20 bills on the side of the table. Oh, wow. And he told our waitress, he said, um, you know, because he was still pretty, you know, this was the, you know, in 99. So he was still, he was, he was making that transition from yep. WWE to, to uh, WCW, you know, uh, he had the dyed hair. He was doing the PWA stuff on the side, stuff like that. So, uh, no, I take that back. It wasn't 99. Fast forward. This was about 2004, 2005. He was he was making that transition. WWE had put him on the Legends contract, and he was doing PWA then. I got my dates mixed up. But anyway, he put those $21 bills on that table, and he told that waitress, he said, this is your tip right here, $20. And back then, $20, that was a good tip. Oh, like yeah, good tip back today, then, yeah. You know, he said, but for every time we have to ask for something to drink or, you know, this glass goes below half, I'm taking a buck. You know, or or if you interrupt us or you ask me a question while I've got food in my mouth, you know, and so that was absolutely the best waitress I ever had in my life because she was so conscious about because, you know, a lot of people just come right up to you while you got a mouthful of food and goes, everything OK? Yeah, or start pouring mm -hmm. over you while you're trying to eat, you know. Yeah, you know, and you're either caught up in a conversation and you're really not even paying attention to what's in front of you. So you say, okay. And as soon as I walk off, you say, oh, crap, I need a, you know, I need, <laughs> I need some napkins or something. Yeah. yeah, right. So that he taught me there. He said, you know, that's the power of money. You know, money has power. And in the wrestling business, nobody hates money more exactly. than your average wrestling fan. You know, somebody who flaunts the money, you know, and, uh, you know, he told me the personal stories like um, being able to live and do different than a lot of the other workers because of the gimmick, you know. Yeah. So I adapted that mentality early on that Frederick O'Neill was Frederick O'Neill. And whether I'm coming to a show, I'm still wearing what. Uh, Frederick would wear if he was out doing business. And that, uh, Frederick so, just has that snooty name. Like that's some, some millionaire's kid, punk kid that can just yeah. do whatever the heck he wants to just go yeah. and buys golden punters and golden clothes just because he wants to just that. Frederick. Right. It's not Fred, Freddie, Frederick just has that. Yeah. 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 At times I didn't like it. And then, uh, my, you know, my first show when I went out and, Absolutely. I got a chair thrown at me. You know, I got cussed at, I got screamed at. And I thought I come back to the dressing room. I was about to cry. I was like, they hate me. They absolutely hate me. And, and Jonathan Lawrence was like, man, that was awesome. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, but they hate me. And he was like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> you know, that's a good thing. So I learned to, uh, I learned to love the hate, you know, yeah. but, uh, but, you know, Jonathan taught me, the difference between cheap heat and real heat. And, you know, you can go out there and say, you know, your mama's trailer park trash. Yep. Okay. What if she is, you know, I mean, uh, oh, and everybody knows it. <laughs> yeah, you've met my mama. Okay. Well, that's not insulting, you know, but I found that I get, you know, Frederick got more heat by just going out and 
you know, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, but no, you're not even worth it. There's that no one that's better attitude. than them. Yeah. Yeah. That right there, ignoring them, acting like you're going to talk to them, but nah, I think it over. You're not even worth my time. Yeah. That, that gets into the psychology, you know, of, of the wrestling business. And you don't see that a lot. In oh, these, not a more. No, 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 no. So, um, but anyway, you know, I, yeah, I wrestled and worked around. I had, you know, an opportunity to work with a lot of guys. Um, um, it became real good friends with a lot of guys uh, that from WWE and WCW. I worked with AJ Styles back in the day before he, uh, so actually right before when he was still working independence before he went yep. to uh, WCW. WCW. Yeah. Him and Aaron Paris, yep, because they, yeah. they come through center one time because yeah. me and Aaron Paris had a bunch of matches. And AJ Styles actually saved me from getting a chair shot. So that's yeah. my one and only thing to fame with AJ was he stopped in just long enough before he went to Georgia to save me from getting hit with a chair from from um, yeah in Paris. Yeah, and you know I posted a video on my on my Frederick page of my daughter years later getting to talk to him on the phone and I saw that we saw him the up. next day. Yeah, we saw him the next day at Word of Wheels and. And the great thing I can say about AJ is fame has not changed him. Oh, yeah. He's, he's still, still, he's still a good old boy. Yeah, still still good old boy. And, uh, of course, you know, it took a minute from, you know, when he first got on the phone, like, hey, this is Frederick O'Neill, who, you know, we work together on so-and-so, you know. Yeah, because you know, he meets a thousand and, people a day. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, he was like, oh, yeah. But what got him was, I said, you know, go golf club. You that's know, it. he was like, oh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I remember that. That's the you stable, know, so, man. That, uh, that's it. Yeah. So he was like, yeah, I do remember that, man. How you been? You know, and so we spent a few minutes catching up. And and then he was kind enough to, you know, talk to my daughter. And and uh, so it, 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 those kind of relationships. And I've met some guys in the business that I thought I, I just I really wished I wouldn't have met those people. <laughs> you know, yeah, I've, uh, I've had like a 90 percent. The guys I've met, I've met a lot of guys at AEW, you know, because I've been to Chicago to a couple of the pay-per-views and whatnot, and 90% of the people I've met has been great. Only one or two has just been like, ah. And one surprised me big time, and then one you're just kind of like, yeah, I, I figured. Yeah. Well, maybe that's just, maybe just maybe they're having a bad day. So I, I don't, I try not to put a lot of stock into it, but when you talk to other people and they say, oh, yeah, I had the same, had the same interaction, then you're like, okay, well, mm -hmm. Sorry, I meant that yeah. guy. Right. You know, and the, I heard for years, be careful when you meet your heroes. Exactly. You know, be careful uh, because the more than likely they're not going to be heroes after that, you know, and there's some of those that I, you know, maybe, maybe they were just having a bad day. Nope. But, you know, like you said, when you hear the same experience from a couple of people, you think, okay, well, you know, maybe, maybe that's just them. And you feel sorry for them because they could, they could, impact somebody's life so much more if they were just in a better mood, yeah. you know, and re realizing that, Hey, people really want to see you. They still want to, to get an autograph or they still want to be around you. You don't have to be a jerk, you know? And, and don't get me wrong. There's times where if I'm eating, Hey, if I'm going, if I'm, if I'm coming up the bathroom, don't, you know, there's times you don't want to mess with nobody. And I understand them getting upset. Why am I, I got a hamburger in my hand? I can't sign your yeah. picture. There's, yeah. a, there's a time and place to get an autograph, get a picture. A lot of times I'll right. just say, hey, man, nice to meet you. And to be done, I don't even ask for a picture. Just knowing that I've yeah. met that person meant, yeah. meant the world to me. Yeah. And, you know, we live in a day of technology. You know, back in the day, uh, in my prime years from about 99 to 2004, you know, there was there wasn't no like smartphones. No, you had the ones out there like disposable camera. Yeah, or you had the Polaroids. You know, everybody <laughs> did Polaroids, five dollars a piece. You know, so a lot of those guys have gotten used to making their living off pictures. You know, and making a good bit of their money off pictures and merchandise. Mike Jackson no still does it today. Mike Jackson yep. still sells pictures and t-shirts. Yep. And you you can't beat guys like Mike Jackson. I. No. I I talked with him uh, last Sunday night, and uh, he just still going wide open. I don't, I don't think he'll ever quit. He it's, told me one time on a road trip he was going to retire one day, and I thought, no, I don't think so. One day, <laughs> one day, he didn't tell you that day, though, did he? One day, no, no. Well, he didn't give you a uh, date, did he? <laughs> no, I, I think it'll probably be after he passes away. Uh, so I'll have uh, one more after that. I'm telling you. 
yeah yeah and he may come back for a, a comeback you know <laughs> just know it might like that rick flair yeah. final match we're gonna have one of mike yeah. jackson's final matches yeah final match you know man so, they don't um, make him like him no more though no they don't and uh his work ethic and and his you know he's a businessman you know yeah. uh that's uh, first and foremost mike's a businessman uh and i don't mean this in a bad way because i tell him the same thing but you know mike don't do nothing for free yeah, know, i mean i don't I blame mean, you i mean just, especially now no, yeah, he uh, he puts you know he puts a price tag on what he does, and oh. and and he can benefit a promotion, man. He will get out there and sell those tickets. He will promote it. He'll do it, but he's also gonna make sure him and his family's took care of too. I heard. And, uh, I heard he and there's nothing the, wrong with that. The thing in Birmingham, the the Comic Con this past weekend, you know, comic books, video yeah. games. He was down there selling T-shirts. During comic book video game stuff, selling wrestling t-shirts and making and doing well, and oh, a yeah. comic con does very well. Yeah, I mean this man can sell dirt to a ditch digger. Yep, Austin yep. Escobar. I've, seen, I've seen him do it many times, many many times. It's insane. So, um, he hustles. So I'll share this story on here that I shared with you the other night. Yeah. So I'm I'm coming in from a show on Friday, going to another little town on Saturday. And working Mike Jackson both nights. And uh, so I was talking with the promoter, and the promoter said, we want to do a spot at the Piggly Weekly. And uh, he said uh, – Piggly Weekly, like, baby. Yeah. I mean, you you know you're in a wrestling town when you see a Piggly Weekly. You know you're you know, in the South like, when you hear yeah. a Piggly Wiggly. Yeah, so it set up a ring. It's time to do a show if you got a Piggly Weekly. So um, – he says, this is what I want y'all to do. Go in the store and, you know, talk it up, kind of get some heat, get loud, you know, challenge Mike and, you know, we'll build it up for you guys wrestling that night. And I said, okay. I said, you know, who all's on this? Cause I didn't want no security or nobody like that, you know, trying to tackle me or something. So he said, no, no, the store manager and Mike and, and you, the only three that, that know about what's going on. So I pull up and I'm like, okay, all right, I'm going in. So I go in, Mike sees me. I kind of nod at him. He's, you know, he's got a couple people around. And so as I approach the table, he's telling them, Hey, Hey, hold on a minute. Oh man, this is one of the guys that's going to be on the card tonight. So I immediately go right into the work. You know, I said, I picked up one of the flyers and I said, who gave you permission to put my face on this piece of paper? What Frederick, you don't have to talk to, to you know call the guy's name you're gonna have to talk to this organization I, yes. I i'm just i'm just here to wrestle and to you know to compete you know i, I don't want no no trouble well you got trouble okay you got trouble when you get you you put my face on this piece of paper in this junk hole place you without know? my permission yeah. yeah so we get we get some people kind of coming around by this time we got 10 15 people starting to gather around and uh so I think, okay, here's a good time. And because I'd I'd already told Mike I was gonna dump the table up, you know. And he was like, Man, do it, you know, that'd be awesome. So I did. I just I, I said, I'm I'm closing this yard sale you got set up here down. So I just took the table and flipped it over. And uh, stuff went everywhere. Of course, that drew more, even more people in. So we got about 20, 25 people there. And so there's a guy right there to the right of the table, uh, to my right, uh, and he's got on his little Wendy's apron, his name tags. I'm thinking, okay, store manager's here, Mike's here, okay, flip the table time. And I told Mike, I said, uh, I'll see you tonight. And if you're smart, you won't even show up. I mean, you'll just you'll just quit now, you know, something to that effect. And I look at this guy uh, in the Piggly Wiggle outfit and I said, And I'll slap you so hard, you'll have to unzip your pants to see where you're going. <laughs> And then, and then I just walk out, you know, so I'm five minutes down the road. I get a call promoter, man, everything went great. Everybody loved it. Mike's selling tickets like crazy. You know, store manager said everything went good. He said, but he hated that he missed it. And I was like, he missed it. I said, well, who was the dude that was standing by the table? I said, I told somebody something as, as I was leaving. He said, yeah, that was the bag boy. 
And that was like his first day. And he literally used the bathroom on himself after that was over with. It scared him so bad. That couldn't have worked out no better. Yeah, it was perfect, you know, because I wasn't really paying attention to how old he was or even what he looked like. You know, I'm just, I'm coming in hot. He's just some sorry fan that you don't want to be be near. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so uh, I I paid no attention. So uh, we kind of had a laugh about that. But, uh, but it did. It sold tickets and people came out to it, you know. So, but anyhow, uh, you know, one thing I did want to talk about tonight is, uh, you know, a lot of people have sacrificed for this business. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, a lot uh, of time and effort in them. Yeah. And, and it's time away from families. It's, it's hard on the body. There's nothing about professional wrestling that's natural. It's it, not ballet, it's not baby. Natural. <laughs> and, uh, Fake or not, scripted or not, it's still people's body hitting things that that just are not made to hit. We were not designed to hit wood, hit concrete, hit steel. You know, our we bodies just to close on each other. I tell that. you that. No, you know, and uh, by no means. So, uh, you know, I kind of did that 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 same thing, and uh, and when I was working in uh, for DCW back in '99. Uh, I was wrestling a guy, and I won't call his name just for you know respect purposes. Nope. Uh, kind of, kind of a heavier guy that uh, didn't couldn't really do even with me being as light as I was, really couldn't work. So probably put in a position he, kinda, he shouldn't have been in. Same yeah, same. yeah, yeah. He should have stayed on the front row, and there you go. Uh, so uh, or over by the concession stand. But. Uh, he uh, he called for a move, and he he actually closed my on me on the wrong side, but he he kind of sidestepped me in the middle of me coming back towards him. Okay. So I tried to compensate as but as much as I could um, in that little sixteen foot ring, and oh, geez, when I when I bumped too? down, yeah, and uh, so when I bumped down, I hit my elbow, and of course I felt that, but it kind of jammed my shoulder up, and then when I hit the mat, it kind of just laid back down i think i might have dislocated it you know and then it just kind of jammed back down but it bothered me ever since then you know and so fast forward to 2007 you know i was still wrestling you know at least three or four times a month um and still doing really good uh got with a local orthopedic go have my shoulder fixed so they do the testing and they, they say, you know, this is the way your shoulder is supposed to look. And this is the way your shoulder looks. Yeah. It's just <laughs> it, the bones grinding and, you know, I, I couldn't lift my hand unless I kind of went around, you know, this way. And so they go in there and they shave the bone off, they open it up and, and it feels better. However, uh, during the surgery, they intubated me with the wrong tube. How does that and, happen? Uh, you know, I don't know. I I don't want to call the hospital's name, but but it, a lot of bad things happened. Oh, I know, that I time. know, because I yeah. I know folks that work there. Yeah, and uh, so not only did they intubate me with the wrong tube, and I aspirated uh, severely. You know, and everybody aspirates at some point. You yeah. know, during surgery, taking a tube out, but this was like it got fluid like really severely into my lungs. And uh, so they didn't get me up and walk me that same day, which gets your, you know, everything kind of going back, you know, uh, it gets you woke up from it. It's just imperative. It's almost yeah, it no matter what surgery you gets, do. It gets your body moving. Yeah. So, and it don't matter what surgery you have, you need to be up walking the same day. Well, exactly. not, nine days later, I opened my eyes to, I have double pneumonia in all four chambers of my lungs and, uh, they're fighting infections and they, you know, they're doing all this stuff. And so that started a chain reaction of health issues for me. And, um, and so you're like, two, well, you're, you're still in your thirties at the time too, right? No, I was, tw- I was actually 27. Jeez, man. Yeah. So, uh, so from 2007 to 2010, um, I had, had pneumonia at least five, four or five times. I've been in the hospital, you know, probably at this point, uh, 15 to 20 times uh, with, you know, bronchitis, upper respiratory infections and things like that. And in 2009, um, because my immune system was getting weak from the antibiotics and the steroids and everything they were pumping into me, um, 
I developed a um, black mold infection in my sinus cavities. And so I had to have a major sinus surgery in Birmingham. And um, they just got out as much as they could. And so I had to go back six months later, have another sinus surgery. And from that sinus surgery, I developed a MRSA staph infection right here above my eye in this sinus cavity. Um, So it was very like, you know, touch and go with the area of the brain there. And they were monitoring that, you know, if I had nosebleeds or if I had any type of disorientation or anything like that. So with three months of really strong antibiotics rotated, one at night, one during the day, then I had to take a seven day break and then I'd have to start them again. I did that for three months. So that weakened my immune system. So my immune system at this point was only working like 60% of what it could. So I picked up every time the wind blew, I got sick, you know? So fast forward to, um, 2000 and well, I ended up retiring from wrestling in 2011 because it got to where I was only working a handful of shows a year. And that was just for, you know, friends, people that I knew close by, you know, I just, and, and a lot of that was on the apron waving, doing my thing, tagging in, tagging out. Yeah. You know, just, you know, just being there, you know? And, um, so, I retired in 2011. Um, Jonathan Lawrence uh, called me and, and was putting together a huge show in center, had a bunch of names. And and uh, he asked me, did I want to work? Um, we worked Mike Jackson, matter of fact. And I said, yeah, I would love to. And I said. Which, which I, is a day off with him. I mean. Yeah, 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 for sure. And uh, so I called him back and I said, hey, man, I've been really wanting to retire. Can we work an angle with the Southeastern Light Heavyweight Championship, which I was running that belt at the time versus, you know, Mike's Alabama Junior Championship. Let's do a title for title and then we'll change it and do it career for career. And uh, so we did, of course, you know, uh, he retired me that night and, uh, and I never stepped foot back into a ring until 2019 um, uh, for the Hall of Fame show and uh, um, never went back to the business or anything like that. So, um, and then at 2019, I just retired from it altogether. Uh, you know, I didn't do any special appearances. I didn't do any, you know, from time to time I would go to a show or I would go to a wrestling school and I would, you know, I would get in the ring with somebody who could bump for me and I would, you know, talk to their guys or something like that. But I just, I just kind of, after 2019, just stopped doing everything. And, uh, but so let me back up the story again. Uh, you know, I've always uh, since 2002, I, I rededicated my life to the Lord and uh, just really put him back where he needed to be in my life, put him number one. And it was funny because I'd, I'd been wrestling for about three years and 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 then met some folks and, you know, done some things. But it seemed like once I got my priorities really right, man, it took off and, and, you know, God opened doors for me, uh, to, to work with guys that I've always wanted to work with, be on cards with them, develop friendships with them. Uh, and it, it you know, when you get your priorities right, it changes everything. Yeah. And in 2005, I became a full-time pastor, um, at the church that I grew up in and I'm still there today. I've been there for, uh, this this July be nineteen years. I've been, been there full that time. Long, That's uh, awesome. Yeah, full time youth and young adults pastor. So I, I've you know from then I've always been you know uh, a man of faith, uh, a man who knows that, that God is real. And uh, so uh, through this sickness, my body getting weak and being in and out of the hospital, um, I'd gotten to where uh, I'd finally gotten down to Birmingham in 2013 and got a got a specialist down at the Kirkland clinic who diagnosed me with stage four COPD and, uh, due from, uh, not smoking, not emphysema, um, just from having worn out lungs from all the coughing and the infection and the, the medication. So I was by that time that I found out I was already in the end stages of the disease. And, um, 
so you know it was it was pretty much a you know how long do I got you know kind of thing by this time I was uh 33 34 years old I think how do you process that at 34 years old that man I was in the ring a couple of years ago now I can barely get across the 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 living room yeah I can't uh, go to the refrigerator to get something to drink because I'm I'm too tired and it, it changed my life, you know. I, I can't you know, imagine. I was talking uh, to my doctor, you know, and he was just like, you can't cut grass anymore. You can't be around spray paint. You can't be around fresh paint. You can't, you know, be outside or, you know, during the springtime. You can't, you know, I ended I ended up having to buy, I bought me a customized Alabama golf cart just so I could ride around in the yard with my kids. You know, I was having to say no to a lot of stuff. And I ended up going from being on, um, oxygen, you know, when I got out and about to one day I'm at home and there's a knock on the door and it's a, a home care, uh, company and they deliver a machine and they said, your doctor has ordered this machine and, and, uh, you need to call him. So I called the doctor, talked with the nurse and he was like, yeah, he's putting you on oxygen 24 seven. So, um, so I had a lead in my house and, and, you know, I was able to go as much as I could with that lead on. And so then. At 34 uh, though, man, what do you, I mean, at 34 years old, how do you, you, you the mind, I mean, I, physically I, I can't even imagine, but mentally yeah. it's probably yeah. has to be beating you down mentally. Yeah, it did. You know, and, and w- honestly, without my faith and, and God, yeah, hmm. I probably would have, would have took myself out a long time ago. You have an amazing uh, just, family too, man. Because I, I know your family. So. Yeah, well, you know, it depends on who you know. You know, <laughs> no, I'm just uh, but anyway, uh, that uh, it was tough, you know, because I, I, you know, you go from being athletic and being, yeah. you know, a wrestler and being, you know, a youth pastor and energetic to you go down to nothing. And and in uh, early 2014, I uh, while I was at church, um, I wasn't feeling well. And I told my security guy that was assigned to me at the time, I said, I'm going to go to my office and I'm going to just rest for a little bit. Just come and get me right before we start. And uh, I woke up to my pastor, who's also my father-in-law, kind of leaning over me, trying to get me to come too. And my oxygen level had just bottomed out to the point where I just lost consciousness. And uh, from that day forward, I couldn't talk, but maybe above a whisper, uh, I, my motor skills slowed down tremendously. I began to have problems in other organs in my body because of the lack of oxygen. And uh, so from that moment on, from early in 2014, um, for several years, I was pretty much homebound. I didn't get out and do anything unless I was going to church to preach. And that was still very um, structured. It had to be somebody drove me, somebody, you know, got me home. A lot of times, uh, a lot of times I would come into the house and just lay in the floor until my wife got home and could help me get into the bed, you know. And all the time, I'm thinking in my mind, the wrestling business did this to me. You know, if I wouldn't have got hurt, if I wouldn't have got into this business, if I wouldn't have. You know, what got is, hurt, you know, yeah, then I would have never had this surgery. And, you know, you go through all those emotions and, you know, a lot of the fans forget you so very quickly. But every day we wake up with the with the shoulder hurt and the knee hurt and the back hurt and the neck hurts. And we think about it every day, you know. And uh, so um, so from from a span of nine years that I was sick, um I spent, I was hospitalized 42 times uh, for respiratory problems related to COPD. And uh, in, in 2016, I slipped into a coma uh, because my liver enzymes got a little too high and elevated and um, went into a coma. They, they wasn't sure. They, they brought me out of it. It kind of put me back in a, like a medical in, induced coma trying to figure out what was going on, you know, was it medication? Was it, was it, you know, they just landed on the liver enzymes were out of whack. Um, um, See, that bothers me too, because that's something my mom's dealing with is her enzymes are like twice as high as they want them to be. 
Yeah. So that, that hits home, man. The the years of you know all this wasted medication pumping through my body just it tears your liver up. Oh you yeah, know? and then they uh, tell you how strong or what mixtures they're pumping through. Yeah. And, you know, so when I finally got down to Birmingham and UAB and I had multiple specialists all looking at me at the same time, you know, it, it became a thing where I felt like I was getting a holistic approach. And of course the whole time believing and praying that, you know, one day God's going to heal me, you know, and if, if that meant I go to heaven, then okay, I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, I just had a, I just had a piece about, no matter what, he's still God, you know, no matter what I go through, he's this still was your God. plan apparently. So you know? yeah. You know, so I, I learned a lot during that time. I, I educated myself. I, I got uh, my master's in, in divinity. I got my doctorate in, in theology and, you know, just really just took advantage of wrote a couple of books during that season, you know, when I was just at home and, and just, just what started out is I'm just going to, get this off my chest turned into several books that came out of that. And uh, so, you know, looking back, I, you know, I, I wouldn't trade nothing for the journey, you know, yeah. uh, but to, to kind of speed up the story a little bit, you know, after the, the, uh, the liver incident where I kind of slipped into this coma state, um, it wasn't too long after that, that I began to have problems more frequently with my bladder. So i was on a catheter for a good bit of a year and uh, and only my family and really close people knew that even some of the people that I went to you know, most people I went to church with never knew that I was having to depend on a catheter to be able to use the bathroom and that's so like, everything that's seemed to be just too. declining yeah and two you know I never wanted to go to church and be a distraction exactly especially you know? in your 30s too man this is like yeah I'm supposed to be up there in front of everybody, just I, yeah. I can't imagine, man. That, you know, because you feel like you know, I want the attention to be on God. You know, yeah. I need to be on you know what they came to get out of it. Not look at poor Pastor Terry. He's on a cane. He's got oxygen on. He's two people had to help him into the room, and you know, uh, so anything that I could hide, and I, I sometimes I would tell people here, take this cane and go set it under that first pew. Yeah. And these two guys are going to help me get to my seat, you know, just to avoid the attention because I just, you know, being, a, being very private, being in the public eye in the wrestling world and it, as a pastor, you know, you get so much of that to the point where you say, the only thing I have is my privacy. You exactly. know? So I, I kind of want to hold on to that. It's kind of like where so, Frederick O'Neill uh, starts and starts and, and yeah. you know, pastor, you know, starts and ends. You want to keep yeah. it separate, you know? That's right. And uh, so, you know, and again, not to be a distraction to anybody, huh. but to, you know, all glory and honor to God. Yep. So, you know, at this point, uh, this fast forward to November of 2016, uh, I've been prayed over by thousands of people, um, you know, all over the country. We're praying uh, Ye you know, years this, of it, just built up yeah, years of it. And sure. uh and and I would sometimes I would avoid it because um, my question would be to people who said, you know, can I pray for you? Sure. I would let them pray for me. And then my question would be now, if God chooses to heal me by, by promoting me to heaven, are you going to be disappointed that are you going to feel like he didn't answer your, your, your prayer? You know, and I would always get that kind of bewildered look. And I said, that's where you have to trust God no matter what the yeah, answer is. They're praying for you to feel better, get better, get well. But does that mean going on to the next, you mm -hmm. know, you know, the outer body. So you, your body might feel bad, but you feel better. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, heaven's all, heaven's always the ultimate healing. Yeah, know, exactly. So, sure. I mean, just, I mean, you might be praying for me to not get better here, but to be better there. Yeah. And a lot of people just couldn't understand, you know, how much at peace I was. You know, I wasn't suicidal. I didn't want to just, I didn't want to die. Yeah, but, but you I know, was you're okay. Plan, that you was, yeah. Yeah. If that was God's plan, then, you know, <laughs> I just like reading in the word, the Bible says he knows the beginning and the end of our days, you know, so. And it's he his already knows. For that to happen. Yeah. He already knows what's going to happen anyway. So. 
Uh, so I'm going to kind of wrap it up here. But uh, so I'm standing in a service on a Sunday night, which was very odd for me to be there. And uh, one of my good friends, Pastor John Wade, uh, was leading worship that night. And and he very close to me knew how I didn't like the attention. And, and he just begins to travail and cry during worship. And I'm just thinking, wow, this is just great service, you know, I feel God moving. And he stops and he points at me and he says, Pastor Terry, God's just going to heal you right now. I mean, it's something you probably just, heard once or twice. Just, yeah, you know, I, I, but I never heard it with the authority that it hit my heart with, you know. And of course, I was, oh, praise the Lord, you know, thank God. And uh, one thing about any type of lung disease, uh, you develop what they call barrel chesting, which yep. is uh, your chest trying to make room for more air more air because you gotta have air to breathe yeah yeah so i developed some pretty massive knots in the middle of my chest from arthritis due to barrel chesting and uh so of course i'm hunched over and i got on my oxygen i'm i'm trying to just stand and do my part and, and i look up open my eyes and there's a line of people in front of me and they're they're all just hugging me and saying different things to me and Really didn't think anything about it. Except Which for, is the opposite you know, of what you wanted because you don't want the attention yeah, on you. Yeah, I didn't want the attention. Yeah. And when the last person got done, uh, it, the only way I can describe what happened next was this. Something inside of me took a step out. Yeah. It was like death took a step out of my body. It was like I felt what was inside of me just. Boom, all the boom, negative, all the steps. sickness, everything. It was gone. It was gone in that instant. And uh, so I, I go back to the office after the service and I'm talking with my pastor and he said, brother, we just got a great word, great service. We just got to keep believing that God's going to bring it through. And I, without thinking, I just said, he's already done it. And when I said those words, it was back to the voice that you hear now. It wasn't, it wasn't the soft whisper that I could barely talk before. You know, I bet that part was, killed you because I know how much love yeah, you Yeah. So, uh, yeah, th thanks, by the way. Uh, so that was the, that was, that was like a shock. Like I heard my voice that I hadn't heard in, in three years, you know, uh, of being down. And uh, my wife, Tara, happened to not be with me that night. She was at home not feeling well. And I walked into the house and I said, I spoke to her and she kind of looked at me and I was like, God healed me tonight. You know, God healed me tonight. And she was like, well, thank God. You know, there was some disbelief there because it's like, well, wait a minute. What happened? Oh yeah. We've been doing, we've and, been down uh, this road a few times, yeah. and, you know? Yeah. So I go into the bathroom, I cut out the catheter, I take it out. I've never had to have another one put back in. I've never had a problem with my bladder since. Um, I took me a process, but I got off all the medication that I was on that was, that was treating, you know, uh, side effects of what this lung disease. Had, yeah. It's not caused. only was the antibiotics or you were getting stuff to help you relax, to help, yeah, you know, to subside the pain maybe a little yeah. bit, just, it wasn't just yeah. antibiotics. It was. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of stuff I didn't need. You know, yeah. yeah so I'm the, I've been there. Believe me. Yeah. yeah. I was taking a lot uh, of stuff I didn't need back then. But for me, the shock came when uh, I took my shirt off in the bathroom and I could run my hand down the middle of my chest and there was no knots of arthritis anymore. Huh. Uh, just in that moment, it just, they were gone. And that's when the tears came for me. That's, that was, that was God like saying, hit you I, then, I took it. Yeah. It hit me then yeah. that I was, that I was healed. Cause you felt and, it, uh, but then you saw it then. It's like, you feel it. Yeah. But then you see and it. I was seeing like... it. Yeah. And, and, and I'd been in the hospital one time since then I'd gotten pneumonia, um, and had to go be at UAB for about 13 days. And, but normally I would get out of the hospital. I would struggle with, with recovery. I would struggle with, again, going back to oxygen. I never had an issue. I've never had a problem. And, uh, so, you know, a lot of guys in this business make sacrifices. Uh, mine came through, I sacrificed my health you know, but the end result was God had a plan. And the plan was to, during that season, to teach me and to show me um, exactly what he could do if I would just trust him every day, you know, and, and be okay with 
no matter what, you're still God, no matter what, you're still in control, no matter what I feel like. And, you know, the people that would come to me after, um, you know, I got healed and my health got better. Of course, I had to build my strength and my stamina back up from just being, you know, uh, around the house, not doing anything for several years. And uh, I remember one one uh, incident where I walked past the trash can and my wife said, are you going to take the trash out? And I, my, my response literally was, well, I haven't in two years, you know, like yeah, you, you got to give me a chance. Yeah. yeah. You know, I had people coming to the house and, and helping and, and, you know, taking trash cans out and things like that. So I had to get used to living again. And uh, so uh, fast forward a little further uh, back this end of this year, I went through uh, Andrew's sports clinic down in Birmingham, got this shoulder fixed, got it fixed right. So uh, I'm feeling better than I ever have before. And that was uh, was my next question was the very next doctor's visit after service, the very next doctor visit. How did that go? How did the doctor, I just can imagine his face. Like, wait a minute, you were just here a couple of weeks ago. This is going on. What what happened? I can imagine. It's funny. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because um, he is and he was he was a, a man of faith. Uh, He is a man of faith. I still have to go see him once a year. And uh, but we do the test and the test comes back that my lung function is only twenty seven and a half (laughs) percent. And I'm sitting here telling him I'm healed, like I'm I'm not wearing oxygen. I feel like I'm 100 percent. You know, yeah, I feel, you know, it can't be that low, you know, and so. I think the last the last uh, test that I had back in the fall, it was still only right at like 22 to 23, something like that percent. But uh, his thing on the science side of it was, well, it's kind of dormant. It's going to flare back up. Well, I haven't I haven't had a flare up in uh, seven, eight years, you know, so if it's it's whatever's laying dormant is laying really dormant, you know, and I don't take inhalers for asthma. I don't take anything <laughs> for COPD. I take nothing whatsoever for that. So I think God, that was God kind of winking at me saying, I'm going to take the five loaves and two fishes and feed 5,000. I'm going to take your 27% lung function number. And I'm going to let you do a hundred percent of what you want to do on this little bit of stuff, (laughs) you know? So I think that was God's way of saying, it's not man, it's me. It's It's not my Hey, I got this. Yeah. But it's by my spirit, you know, and to, to remind me that if I was dependent on me, I'm looking at 20 something percent uh, and anything below 50 is considered, you know, stage four. So I'm in the, I'm in the bottom part of stage four. So still on paper, still legally on paper, I'm, you know, I have stage four COPD, but if you look at the paper and you look at me, you're looking at two different people. No, I don't see no wires, no hoses. I don't don't see nothing. Nothing at all. And I've gotten rid of every now and then I'll come across an oxygen bottle or a you know, some adapter to a machine or something like that. I just throw it in the trash, you know, or, you know, give somebody the bottle that I know uses oxygen if it still has it in it. And, you know, and so, yeah, I, I don't use any of it. And and that's all because of what God was able to do in, in, in my life. And so he kind of gave me that second chance. And uh, like I said, I, I last year got my shoulder fixed, got it to where it was working and uh, feeling good, man, feeling better than I've ever felt. I'm glad, man. That's it, as at your age, especially because I'm, you know, we're the same age. So I know I feel decent for as many years as I was doing it, and I'm just doing the referee stuff. And every now and then, my kids will be like, "Well, well, Dad, have you thought about doing one or two more matches or something like that?" Or I'm like, "I don't know. Maybe if if somebody were to come along or something like that." Have you got that question? Yeah, you know, I have, and and I would just leave it at this, you know, if if the right person reached out, you know, maybe the right company, the right, you know, the right amount of money, you know, uh, if if God put some stuff together, then, you know, who knows? It sounds like he can do it, you know, sounds like he can do it. Yeah, he could do it, (laughs) you know, so, uh, 
it's not an open challenge. You know, I'm not yeah. just challenging anybody, but you know, if, if, if things begin, if the right person reaches out or, uh, you know, yeah, I might give it, you know, one more little shot, you know, but, uh, uh, it, it's been a huge part of my life. It's been oh, a, yeah. a great conversation starter, uh, you know, from belts that I have, you know, I've had him displayed in my office and pictures of me with different superstars. It's it's always been a great conversation starter and a way to, to, to share my faith with people. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are shocked when they meet me for the first time and they, they find out that I was a not only a professional wrestler, but I, you know, I'm in the Alabama Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, and mm. and uh, and not that I did anything really big and great, but I think just I, I think I was put in there by my peers uh, because most of them knew the the struggles that I was going through, and that that I came out a winner on top, you know, with God. So um, I feel I feel like even the Hall of Fame uh, fame exception is is glory to God. You know, because I, I definitely didn't deserve, you know, that type of accolades on my own by no means. I'm looking at the list right now, and I see your name right here beside Arn Anderson. I mean, everybody knows double Arn Anderson. Josh O'Hagan, which is a personal friend of mine that you've known for a while, that I've actually got mm-hmm. to – I see him about once a week. Um, I met him five, six months ago after my refereeing thing started. So um, I know how good of a trainer he is and how good he is in the ring. Um, Mike Jackson, Veronica Fairchild, I mean, dude, you're you're in here with, with names. And I look at the year before, you know, Bull Buchanan, Jerry Stubbs, Pat Rose, Daphne. Uh, and then the Armstrongs in 2017. And one of our personal friends, Michael J. Pleasing. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a man that I uh, talk about a, a, a gym – of a man and person. That's probably one of the yeah. best men I think I ever met was Michael Pleasing. Yeah, he was a great guy in and out of the ring. You know, he was a great guy. Do anything for you, you know. So I'm proud to be surrounded by such, yeah. you know, great peers, you know. And uh, so, but, man, I, I really have enjoyed, and I really appreciate you, you taking the time to to listen to my story tonight. Hey, and, man, uh, I just love catching up with you, man. I'm, I'm glad yeah. you to do it. Yeah, yeah. And and if I do ever have a, a another match, I want you to be the referee. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I got to be there because you know, you know, it's gonna be weird seeing you go babyface because there ain't no way you can do heel after everything yeah. you've been through. There's no way, man. I think I, I think I'm done with my heel day. Yeah, I, I think it's purely so. babyface now, brother. Yeah, I wouldn't risk it. <laughs> <laughs> now I still do the yeah I still have a go golf club. There you, know, you go. Have to, have to flash the cash, but uh, we'll <laughs> we'll do it for the for the better reasons this time. That's awesome, man. I'm I'm I appreciate you being on. And um, uh, you said something about books earlier. Are you currently writing anything now? Uh, yeah. Right now I'm writing my story, which is called Wrestling with This Body, and uh, yeah. uh, Ted DiBiase is committed to writing the forward for the book. And, That's awesome, man. Uh, and and Lash LaRue is going to write a uh, part of uh, another Ford as well. Love and, uh, Lash LaRue. He's been on the yeah, show. Yeah, great guy. Love great Lash. Guy. He's just down the road here, man. Yeah. And uh, so it's it starts off about the wrestling business and how I got into it and share some stories. And then it flips to wrestling with this body and, yeah. and the process of what healing really means and how God healed me, but only – it's also to encourage people that if you may be experiencing a long-term, whatever you're praying for healing, physically, spiritually, emotionally, hang in there because it's going to happen. And God has a reason for the process that he takes you through. So I'm getting to write, you know, my wrestling memoirs, as well as, you know, my testimony in this book, uh, wrestling with this body. Well, we've heard so much negativity in the wrestling business, as far as, you know, stuff from the past, you know, we've heard the stories in the nineties, and it's good to hear something positive, you know, something good from the wrestling business. It's good to have positivity finally. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate you coming on and chat with me, Bubba. Yeah, man. And uh, and anytime I can help out in any way, uh, just holler at me. I'll come back on. We'll chat some more. Oh, man, I want to get you on the main show with the guys. I mean, it's just I want it one-on-one with you because, you know, like I said, we've known each other 20 years, 20-plus 20 years. Yeah. And I just – I knew – you know, with 
you know how close Uncle Ben and my dad, he was, he said he ran into you and chatted with you. I didn't realize everything you've been through, and he kind of gave me an idea, and I'm just, he gave me a number, and I, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad we reached out, man. Yeah. You know, I, I like Cabana Man Dan. I, you know, in the wrestling world, we we were enemies for for a long time, and uh, he's still running uh, he, strong, he, man. Golly, yeah, he's still running strong. You know, he's crazy Hawaiian guy. You know, oh yeah, he, castaway, he's his castaway you know. now. So yeah, he's a castaway. He, he's got a good so, one coming yeah. up this weekend at the Hoss tournament. I don't know if it's be out by then, but um, and we got something coming up on the eighth, March eighth. So. It just depends on when everything goes out. I mean, he's staying busy, man. And this March will probably be my busiest month so far. So I'm looking forward to it, man. And anything yeah, I can man. do for you, please let me know, brother. Yeah, man. And I again I appreciate appreciate the time and uh and I hope this helps y'all's uh what you guys are doing for the for the fans in the wrestling world. So uh just I'll be here if you need me. Hey, do you wanna put it is there do you wanna put something out as far as anybody wanna reach out to you? You know, ask you anything? Are you on socials or anything? Uh, uh, the only thing I'm doing with with Frederick is, you know, just Frederick O'Neill on Facebook. Okay. Um, and and I and I had a, a a page at one time. I had several thousand friends, and just through it, but being dormant, dormant, I had to shut. You know, I lost that account, so I'm starting over. So there's a few hundred friends on there, but I'm kind of rebuilding that. So. Uh, just reach out to me there. The website's currently down. They're, they're, we're revamping some stuff there and kind of broadening mm -hmm. it, it to, to where people can reach out and get some more information too. But right now, just Frederick O'Neill on Facebook. Um, go until you see a guy with a gold outfit or a gold golf club or something. And that's me. You know. Sounds good, brother. Man, I thank you so much for reaching out. And I appreciate you spending almost um, – we almost got an hour – so I appreciate you taking time to chat with me, brother. I love you, man. Yeah, man. Love you too, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. See you, buddy. All right. Bye.